in Austin, Texas. It's weird, right? Very weird. Um, if you were to tell somebody from the Midwest what you saw this morning with snow, they would laugh in your face. Oh, I know. It's like little uh, it was, ice. It was sleep. Cute, cute ice pellets. I, I described- Everyone ran outside. They're like, it's hailing. Let's all run outside. <laughs> like, that's not hail. It's not hail. <laughs> I described it. As, I couldn't decide if it was really light rain or really heavy snow because yeah. the velocity it was falling is somewhere in between. Um, but what are we drinking today, gentlemen? Beer. Wine. And Why? Zebra mussels. Zebra mussels. That's right, homie. So in Austin, Texas, uh, there's an invasive species called a zebra mussel. Uh, and in, in, in uh, I guess I'll say infiltrated a water treatment <laughs> plant about a year ago. Devious plan. And they've been, uh, they've been cleaning it for a year, and they thought they got it right. But on uh, Wednesday, they turned it back on, which means it got us headlines like, why Austin's water supply smells like garbage. Mm. So we're trying. It's, to been, it's been a rough six months for the Austin uh, Waterworks team, <laughs> yeah. like between yeah. the flood and the, the mussels. We're coming full circle though. Like, didn't they invent beer because the water was so? That bad? was in Stephen Johnson's yeah. "How We Got yeah. to Now" in the clean section. He's talked about for the longest time, especially in Chicago, the water was so foul, so people didn't want to drink it. They did like you to be drawing a bath, and a fish would come out. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so they drank beer, and uh, all of a sudden, somebody Done. decided to Deal. dump a bunch of chlorine. And right. I'm not. Whatever. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, Two things went through my mind when you said that. Uh, the ending scene of Stranger Things, when he goes into the bathroom of season one, oh, the thing yeah. comes out. And oh. then the other, the other thing that went through my mind was me throwing up because it almost made me vomit thinking about a fish coming through my oh. bathtub. That's, that's gross. So um, gross. <clears throat> but we're not here to talk about invasive species. I don't think. We might be. You never know. Um, but we are here to talk about uh, the future of restaurants. And we got there because, you know, last podcast we talked about some predictions coming into 2019, right? And so we're fortunate enough that people will ask us our opinions on a professional level. They said, what are some major trends that you guys are, are, are seeing? Just one, overall in technology, uh, two, in culture and business was kind of like the genesis of this podcast. And, and one of the trends that we've all talked about, not, not just the three of us, but, you know, people at large, is uh, what's going on in the restaurant space. So the question of the day is, yeah. what is the future of the restaurant? Because it's a wild question. And I know, I know you guys got thoughts on it. I just kind of, you know, we decided to codify it on a podcast. Yeah. It's, uh, man, that's an interesting question because I think the answer is it looks absolutely nothing like it looks today. And uh, that's really easy to say, but I think what we're going to see over the next three to five years and what we've seen over the past three to five years in restaurant is a wholesale change. And you probably won't be able to look back and go, I recognize the restaurant industry. And this sounds super nerdy and it is super nerdy, but I spent a ton of my time yep. in the restaurant space. We work with God, 17 restaurant clients. And so I feel like I live and breathe this stuff. Uh, but I'm passionate about it because um, restaurants are a big part of my life. I love going out to restaurants. Agreed. I love having great food. Um, but what's what's changing is that the idea of a restaurant has always really been about going to a place. It's been about a physical place. Um, and outside of like, you know, what delivery and like the pizza category, mm-hmm. I mean, for the most part, you didn't eat in your house unless you cooked. You went out for some sort of special occasion or because you were looking for an experience. Delivery has changed the way that restaurants are thinking about their business, but more importantly, changing the way that customers and that people like you and me think about getting food. And so it's no longer I have to make a choice between can I get something fast and delivered uh, that might be okay. I can get the best meal in Austin, Texas delivered in 30 minutes and I've got unlimited choice. And because of that, 
we're seeing that restaurants don't really know what to do. And they're sort of scattered. They're scared. And so they're trying to do all of these things. And I think the next three years is going to be them testing lots of stuff, most of it not working, and uh, coming out on the other side looking very different. You know, it's, it's funny. I, um, I finally took advantage of my Amazon uh, the credit that they give me for the food delivery service, and it reminded me of a couple things. One, if what a tough business restaurants really are. In fact, um, years ago, my, I have two younger brothers, and my middle brother, Mark, bumped into a friend of his from college. He said, what have you been up to? And he's like, you know, I, I hope actually opened up a restaurant in Dallas. He's like, how was that? And he's like, well, imagine I give you a half million dollars, and in return... You kick me in the nuts and give me back two fifty. <laughs> That's basically what it's like. I mean, it's a really tough business, and it's tough for a lot of reasons. It's tough um, from a labor perspective. Does anybody show up today? It's tough from a margin perspective. It's got perishable goods. You're at the whim of Yelp, right? Marginalized people, questionable yeah, talent, like all sorts of things. There are society. so many points of failure. So you know. And then on top of it, they have Amazon going after them. That, that's fun, right? Like the whole idea of like, we're going to take control of your future and we're going to start saying whether or not people go to your restaurant or not. And we're going to uh, co-op the channel. I, always, I feel really bad for them. And, and I think about, you know, the, the, the thing that they have to do the most is close the gap on, on what people expect right now in terms of that age of convenience. But I do think that kind of eclipses or covers the reality of where the future of restaurants is going. I do think a lot of restaurants see whatever they're going to try and do in the next five years in terms of closing the gap on mobile ordering, which Starbucks has standardized, or in terms of reordering some of their technology organizations to be more data-focused, um, to make more intelligent recommendations, or even just make better business decisions. They think of that as the future, and that's very much not the future. That's just closing the gap on what's going on today. So, so what's the biggest problem? Is it delivery? Like, I think that is the it, just the same way Amazon entering any industry or Amazon in general makes people just like shake in their boots, yep. right? Because they can't compete. I feel like delivery is the thing that every restaurant is worried about right now. I think the last data I saw is that 55, 60% of meals will, will restaurant meals will actually be consumed outside of a restaurant in yep. the next two to three years. Brain, is that the problem? I, I think the main problem is, is that well, one, you've, you have commoditized convenience across the entire space, right? So you're no longer competing on flavors and interior design and craft cocktails. You're competing on who can get it to me faster, cheaper, right? So, so location doesn't matter anymore. It <clears throat> doesn't. So, so the, the, sole per, the sole thing that was driving uh, restaurants forever was real estate, and now that it no longer matters. And I think the other issue is that what's, what's behind that is that all that data goes into a black box. They don't actually own the transaction anymore, which is a big problem. So you're talking about technology, you're talking about data. It's a highly technical industry. It's Explain what you mean that. Like, why don't uh, they own it? Yeah, uh, great question. So um, they actually pay to be on these platforms, and these platforms are uh, Uber Eats, uh, favors of a favorite of mine. Grub hubs. Grub hubs of the world, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's like a, it's another marketing channel, essentially, except that you can transact through that channel. And then when somebody transacts through that channel, it is the user data, the user preference, and all of that stuff is no longer the restaurants. It is the platform on which they, they order. They don't own that relationship. So Uber does. For example, yeah. Favor uh, has one of my favorite restaurants in Austin, Texas on it, which is Frasis. Mm -hmm. uh, Favor knows me really well. 
Francis doesn't actually know I exist. The waitress and the bartender know me, but they in their system have no idea who I am, which means now that uh, Favor can use all of that data, they can resell it, they can optimize my experience, they can do all the things that I expect them to do because they own it. And what most people don't understand, because with something like a Favor or a Postmates or Uber Eats or even Amazon, you're still paying a delivery fee yep. and you're tipping your driver. What they don't realize is that the restaurant is, if they're promoted, they're probably paying 30 maybe at least 15% of the check Mm -hmm. to... Which was their margin. And your margin already is at 20, man. Yeah, very few have 30% margin. Very, very few. And I think that that's one of the things that they've been challenged with. It used to be you come in, you become a great customer, we've got a relationship, and whether that's through a loyalty program or I just know what you like to drink because I recognize you every time you come back in. Yeah, the personalization was the way to remember you. It was, right? And like you felt really special when you walked in and they remembered your order. Like that was the place you would take people. Hey, Ben, you ain't been in so long. Long. What yeah. you been doing? And and now they don't own. Yeah, it was a, at a Chinese restaurant, which is super <laughs> weird. So, yeah, so uh, the the thing, <laughs> the thing that is is challenging is now all of a sudden they don't have that direct relationship. And to your point, Uber or somebody else owns it. But the only reason that phrases is showing up at the top is because they're paying for advertising to show up at the top of the list. That's right. Well, guess what? If they stop paying that, Favor's going to keep your, or Uber's going to keep your data, and they're never going to show you phrases. Never. Again. They're yep. going to show you somebody else who's serving chicken. I mean, right? It's, it's, That's right. And so they, I think restaurants are really struggling right now because they think these channels are driving incremental sales and are really additive to their business because they'll say, well, I, I would have never got that customer. But they're only sustainable if you feed that money and pay, you know, just constantly. So do you, do you, do you see the future of restaurants as this never ending race to the bottom arms race, um, in terms of trying to get to the top of the recommendation list or is it something different? Man, I, I see restaurants if you want me to go like, like super deep and way too far is I, I think restaurants that if you look at the, the landscape today, right. And there's, I think there's millions of restaurants. I think that restaurants are going to distribute on, a similar um, scale to the income distribution in, in wealth distribution in the U.S. Yep. So I think that I there are that. some at the very top end who will figure out online ordering, delivery, who will probably buy up lots of concepts. We'll talk about the idea of ghost kitchens at some point. Yeah. And they'll be really great at the customer experience, and they'll be able to do it at scale. So that might not actually be a restaurant. It might be an Uber Eats. It might be a Postmates. It might be somebody who just aggregates and is the best at delivering you exactly what food you want at that moment in time. I think there's a lot of people in the middle, think about the middle class, who are going to get passed over, who are not going to be that differentiated. And if you're the 97th chicken restaurant in Austin, good luck, right? Go because yeah, you're, you're, you're not in a good spot. And then there's some which are not necessarily at the bottom, but in a very different area which are going to be all about experience and i still think experience is going to stand out and so those and that's going to be like a one two percent who can provide the best experience possible and you go because you can't get that at home or because you just can't get that um you you can't get that experience with your friends or the drink or something like that and so i think the ones who don't focus on experience or who aren't amazing at technology and the relationship are going to go away and you'll have 80 percent less restaurants yeah i think what's, what's there's a prediction 80 percent less, 80% restaurant? re- that, less that, restaurants in in 15 years oh that that that's horrifying well, yeah. well the what's really interesting is that not to argue with you but or 
I mean, it's, it makes for a fascinating thing, right? Because you talk about the high end, and we, we, we hold these future of workshops and things like that. And one of the things that constantly comes out is humans as a premium, right? So you have this trend, because we're, we're naturally socially... Uh, what does that uh, mean, humans as a premium? Uh, I'm, I, there's a restaurant in town, Uchi. Yeah. I've been going there since they opened, like 17 years ago or whatever it was. Amazing. And it's one of... Amazing. It's game-changing, right? It's a world-class restaurant. If you don't like it, I don't like you. That's pretty much <laughs> how I feel about Uchi's, how I feel about the entire thing. And not, not, you know, but it's one of the restaurants where I don't look at the check. And it's not mm-hmm. because I'm super wealthy and all this stuff. It's because it's, it's so on its face worth every penny that I'm about to spend because they nailed it, mm-hmm. right? Um, but that expectation of, of digital experience, I think, is, is what's super interesting in that, right? Because they're parallel, Right, you should feel yeah. like this. And what's what's interesting when we talked about Amazon buying Whole Foods on episode one of Cocktails and Questions, which you cannot find, and if you do, I'll give you a shiny nickel. Um, one of the best ones yet. But my, what I was opining was that Amazon bought Whole Foods because Whole Foods represented what they could never be, which is a warm, friendly face that yeah. recognized you. Right? Yeah. It was it was a brand equity play, and I feel like the restaurants to get it right will match that the atmosphere and the hospitality of an Uchi but the efficiency of an Uber Eats are a favor. Are those two things mutually exclusive? I do not think no. so. So no. can I get, c- could I get a delivery experience where I wouldn't look at the check like you do at Uchiko because it's, it's that good? And, that, and that's one of the major breakdowns. I, my, my immediate answer is no. In the future, in 15 years, I believe yes, because what they'll start to do is own the entire experience because what happens is there's a compliance issue, right? Everything breaks down in the employees. So we've got a We've got a client that we do design work for, and one of the design principles is third shift simple. And, and, and that's a, it's one of my favorite phrases, but simply put, it's like the people that work the third shift don't give a shit, yeah. right? So how can you train those folks? And so what happens is, is Fraces hands it off to, to Favor. Now, a Favor employee is now in charge of my Fraces experience mm-hmm. because I don't blame Favor, yeah. right? If they're late or they're rude, I blame Fraces, which yeah. is pretty interesting man did um, you see uh, jimmy johns uh, this uh, yesterday came out with a new campaign and they're saying they're not going to do any third-party delivery so they're not going to let anybody do it because they're faster and better with their own delivery fast. drivers right and it was, it's an interesting thing because it plays off their positioning of freaky fast i thought that was really smart but they've said like you just don't do as good of a job so we're not going to let anybody do that which is is interesting, but also going to piss the consumer off. Like, if I'm trying to order from you, why do you care where I order from? So, it, weird, weird, and interesting positioning. But to go back to your yeah, your yeah. point about is it mutually exclusive? Um, this is my idea, and if any, anybody wants to steal it, they can just send me a check for like I don't know a couple million dollars. And we'll call nickel. it cool. Yeah. So I'm about to buy a yeah. URL. Hold on. So, the yeah, honor exactly. system. Ready? So uh, yeah, this is the honor system. Namecheap.com. Yeah. So, I trust you to I, uh, use my genius responsibly. I mean. Uh, <laughs> Um, imagine you have uh, one of the best restaurants in Austin anywhere, right? You take a super high-end restaurant. I think that there's a missing um, opportunity right now where somebody at that level creates a takeout delivery business that is solely focused on creating the best dining experience Born in digital. your home. Born digital. So um, imagine, you know, we're only going to cook 250 meals, uh, two-person meals, and who knows, it's 100 bucks, 150 bucks, 200 bucks, 75 whatever the price point is, but the packaging, the, um, the food is made specifically to travel, um, and you have to get in early, otherwise you don't get access to this meal. But what if Tyson Cole or one of those guys yeah. at Uchi were, were doing that, right? Uh, you know, some sort of, some, some chef who has that sort of uh, gravitas, um, I think that that would be something really interesting that nobody has focused on I yet. Definitely, I definitely want James's take on it, but just to like 
I think you're absolutely correct. And I think one of the things that's driving it is because food's been having a moment for about 20, 30 years, right? So when I grew up, I used to walk, watch uh, Jacques Pepin. I watched the original Iron Chef. Like, Who? And, <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Yang Who? can cook. Like, Jacques I used to watch Copin? Jacques Pepin. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Julie did you just Child? go French on us? I did. I did. Because the amazing. man deserves respect. I mean, um, you just like rattled it off like that. I'm telling you. So food's that my amazing. earliest passion, right? Yeah. But this is when food was still like... It wasn't cool. It wasn't cool. And now it's cool. And what's happening is, is you're going to have people that think like the way that technologists and the way that designers think about food. So I think I, in the food industry, I think you're 100% correct. What do you think? Is it my turn? Are you guys yeah. done? <laughs> I, I get it. You guys didn't know this, but no, you guys are like food, going pretty hard. I just want to make sure you got it all out of your system. <laughs> So um, like, it was all wrong. I'm just yeah. gonna stand off to the side and let you that guys. That was the longest period out. you didn't interrupt me though. That was, I don't know. Like, it's it's been quite a week. I'm just kind of like <laughs> I'm trying to keep my powder dry. Um, now there's a lot of merit in what you guys are talking about, and I think about we actually had um, to, to your point an internal sort of powwow this past week. Brought some very very talented smart people from various t- disciplines and teams here to talk about this very topic. Um, it, ben, as you mentioned, we have quite a few clients in this space, and we don't want to talk about how to like you know improve your CRM or whatever it is that we've been doing right now, but really think through the future of the the business. And the thing that came out in the middle of the discussion is how inherently human food really is. You know, when you get to the anthropological roots, when you understand food for what it is and not just in terms of like, is it here faster? You know, inherently the roots are very, very human and a lot of the technology strips that out. And you start talking about like, you mentioned ghost kitchens, right? You mentioned- Can you explain that concept? There's a whole idea of fully automated kitchens. There's no people there, right? Or is it, well, are you talking about no, haunted? Yeah, so, yeah, are you talking about haunted kitchens? It's like yes, or- the haunted one. No, or- so, so go- kitchen, ghost kitchens yeah. um, uh, started in New York. Really interesting concept. And the idea is that these kitchens popped up on uh, Seamless and Grubhub, and now Seamless Grubhub in particular. And these were, they would fake the restaurant. So they would say, yeah. hey, uh, you know, this is Ben's Poke Bowls and Brandon's Barbecue. These restaurants Delicious. never existed. Instead, they would rent a commercial kitchen. They would spend all their money on propping them up in advertising on Seamless so it looked like they were a great restaurant. They would get reviews, and they were a good restaurant. They just never had a physical space. But what was so different is that they could change their entire cuisine, and they were typically operating like four to six restaurants out of the exact same kitchen. Mm -hmm. And if poke bowls are no longer interesting, then there's like, all right, we'll burn that one down and we'll start up, you know, whatever, uh, halal or whatever. I mean, they, and they would just kind of roll with what is trending most. And so now ghost kitchens are sort of evolving to um, a, a lot of, I, th- I think, you know, folks like Panera and mm-hmm. um, some of these larger brands are starting to look at, um, you know, do we create uh, just kitchens where delivery comes out of and there's never actually a, a physical place you could go eat. Mm-hmm. And that was not what I, I'm glad you explained that because I thought it was the automated kitchen when you were talking about no, that. No, but that, that's cool too. That's something Because different. there's the um, dark factories in China, which have no people in them that run 24 hours a day, With seven no days lights. a week, okay. yeah. which is a really crazy thing. There's a lot of documentation on that. There's been a lot of talk in terms of like the humanless kitchen, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. to me a really sad thing because, you know, like food is a form of communication in as much as it is a a form of subsistence and and like an expression of love. And there's all these great things. I do, when we talk to people about the future of the restaurant, we started exploring this notion of like, well, what if it was fully automated? And it kind of really, when you started talking about it, really kind of freaked people out. They're like, 
why I don't want to take people completely out of the loop, right? You know, like I, I've, like what if I need to get mad? What if I want to cross my arms and stare at them? Like, does the <laughs> robot really care that I'm like burning a hole in the back but of their no. head? But at, at what level? We've talked about automation and the loss of jobs, but you know, most technologies actually end up being job additive, and so. I, my question is, if it's a Chick-fil-A or Taco Bell, sure. like, is there a lot of passion really going into that food? You know, like, man, I'm really cooking the shit out of this, uh, you know, fried chicken sandwich. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah, I get it. amazing. Versus at a at a high end. But no, that's absolutely correct. Yeah. And if you think about it and you stop thinking about it as restaurants, you start thinking about different kinds of restaurants. You're right. Like, nobody's going to be like, oh, man, I can really taste the love in this chalupa. This gordita Baja fresh. The thing that you're tasting in your chalupa that Jack and Box, that, 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 that whopper, man, that guy really put extra time and care into like but the three could patties. You, you know, and that one, I think one of the arguments with automation is could you take um, a lot of that probably loveless uh, gordita creation and instead uh, give people who are, you know, you're paying them minimum wage, have less well, people working in the back, pay somebody more to focus on the experience. Post. And like with Chick-fil-A, I think yeah. that's one of the one of the best things that they do is not a lot of people know this, but you have to you can really only own one from what I understand. Yep. And you have to be a manager before you become an owner mm-hmm. and you have to work in the restaurant. So you, you unlike other franchises, can't just have a million bucks and go buy a Chick-fil-A. You've got to work it. And so those people, those ladies and gentlemen are working the actual restaurant and they actually, and that's, I think that care does come through in their food because they care oh, about sure. it. But, but they also, some of them make two, three, four hundred thousand $400,000 a year, which is an amazing salary in the restaurant business. Um, but they also work their ass off. So I'm wondering, you know, does, a, does automation allow people to focus more on the experience? Yeah. Or yeah. does it just, if you stay low end and you don't care about well, the experience, my wager wipe though, everybody out. my wager though is that it, it won't be as automated as you think for a couple of reasons. Okay. Um, and I think and we're talking about the future of the restaurant. And if you're an aspiring restaurateur and you're tr- not planning on putting down roots for another 15 years, <laughs> hopefully my guess hits you dead center. Um, the the thing that we hear more often than not talking to franchisees is how they hate unexpected capital expenditures. They love having flexible costs, and even though it kills them sometimes to fire people when sales are down, they can just cut shifts. When you invest a shitload of money in capital expenditures and automation, you can't fire that. Mm-hmm. You can't just that's go and like say, "Sorry, robots, you got to go home." <laughs> like you owe the bank, and and so that's one of the things that we talk that's about. Right. That the fundamentals are like this automation push for restaurants where they're like, "Oh, that hamburger assembled itself. That costs a." shitload of money not just in terms of oversight but in terms of like putting the machines in and on top of it sometimes like when people don't show up for work it's a headache other times like great today was slow i'm glad that guy didn't show up that sort of fungibility (laughs) that exists in the restaurant is actually a bit of an asset i think a lot of what we end up talking about is going to be how the fundamental concept of a restaurant shifts and there was some really interesting articles um, one of which was um, about how co-working spaces and restaurants are starting to merge yep. now. Yep. And this idea of socialization yeah, like is, is really inherently key. And so how does that work? So they open up during the day? Yeah, and it's kind of, uh, they open up during the day. And, and, and so there are a couple of different models that are being speculated. One of which is like, do you reserve time um, in the restaurant just to work? And, and like, this is essentially Howard Schultz's, you know, fourth yeah. place. You know, everybody's like, you'll never make money just letting people sit around. You got to turn That's the right. tables. Yep. You got to turn the chairs. Actually, 
actually, if you just let people sit around, they end up spending more money yeah. and more money and more money. It's about repurposing the revenue per square foot idea such That's that, right. you know, like a reservation isn't just a reservation for a table to eat. A reservation is a reservation to just sit there and work yeah. or maybe have some sort of freemium model that exists. But there's a lot of thinking going into, is the restaurant about food or is the restaurant about people doing things together in a specific space? And that's what I find most compelling. So like do, hospitality. That's yeah, right. exactly. So in the true sense of the word. Exactly. We, we talk about culture a lot. And one of the, to your point, what's really interesting about the, the rise of robotics and kiosks and self-serve tables and things like this is the demand for higher money by humans, right? It, it, that nobody really talks about. And I'm not here to talk about whether or not minimum, minimum wage is fair or not, but you do have, you know, when you protest or when you refuse to go to work, like the market will find a way. It's like, oh, yeah. you don't want to work for what I'm going to offer you? I'll just dump $100,000 into this machine called Flippy and it flips burgers. You can protest all you want, but I'll make my money back and whatever, right? So it's an interesting, like we talk about w when you change something, there's an unintended consequence. And it's mm -hmm. like, I want more money. Now I get no money. Shit. Yeah. Like that's, that's weird. But the, the cultural thing that I think is driving the real estate augmentation, which I'm super fascinated by, is uh, distributed workforces, right? It, uh, more and more, you don't actually need to be in a physical location because we're, we're not going to the office. So I need somewhere to work. I, yeah. But I, but what you do got I got really mad when I didn't come to the office the other day? <laughs> yeah, I think that's because yeah, you needed yeah, to yell at you. Dumped yeah, my no. desk over. <laughs> yeah, I dumped your desk over. <laughs> but when you think about a glass it. of uh, zebra <laughs> muscle, muscle so water muscle, on your head, did you enjoy the water with zebra muscle <laughs> on? That's disgusting. Sorry about that. But you, but you think about it, right? So you say you don't need to be here to work, right? What do you need? You need internet connection. You need time to think. You need space. You need to be inspired. But you need. Eat. And some fizzy water. <coughs> you need to eat. Need and fizzy, fizzy water. water. Fizzy water, yeah. and you need to eat, right? Yeah. And so the the constants, and I'd I'd like you guys to talk about this because this is your your baby. But like one of the constants in the restaurant industry is like, or there's an assumption that people will only pay us for food. Mm -hmm. It's not true, yep. right? Yeah. Ben, do you want to talk about the constants principle? Yeah. So constants, we've been talking. Um, this is something we've been working on for a long time, but uh, con the constants principle is the idea that every business has something that it's built on, and at the core of the business, um, everything kind of comes back to it, right? So in the restaurant space, it's pretty much we sell food and people pay us for that. That's it. But what we find is that oftentimes um, that constant is not true, right? It's a shaky constant or it's a false constant, and if that changes and you've built your entire business around it, when that goes away, you're in a lot of trouble, right? right. So retailers, or, or right? when people, you fail to recognize and it, it, the rest of the industry is acting on it, and you're like, no, 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 yeah. no, no. So the I mean, just tapes are going to be around forever. Exactly. That's Oops. one. You know, um, well, I, you know, universities, right? So um, th there's a constant today that says you have to have a college degree to be successful. Not true whatsoever, right? There's a constant that says that everyone will own a car. Right? Not true. And so in the restaurant space, one of the constants is that people pay you for food. And what you're saying is instead, maybe they pay you for an experience or right. hospitality. And or it doesn't necessarily have to be model time. is any teacher. Like we're just going to sell ad space on the bun. There right? you go. <laughs> it's just going to be right? like brought to you by. <laughs> yeah. So in this bun brought to you yeah. by. And so that's what I think the future Slack. of restaurant Agreed. starts with is can restaurateurs figure out that that constant is not true yep. and start to rethink it. And so I think you're going to see that, um, they're going to rethink their purpose. They're going to rethink space. What do you actually like, say? Yeah, like the idea of space. You know, you go in and you get a 12,000 square foot restaurant. You better have people moving in and out of there every single day. And That's you got to right. fill up on a per square foot revenue mm -hmm. target. You got you to hit those numbers. But what if your purpose is really just about getting people the best food 
no matter where they are. So we, sorry. And so, so Actually, do you, maybe I you only really need six, 600 square feet to do that. You, you might only need 600, sorry, real quick, but the, you, you reminded me of this design experiment that we did, which was people talk about um, smart rooms, smart homes, smart spaces. And, and, and our uh, organizing thought was, what if the room made you smart, right? So if I, yeah. so if I have to eat, like that's a given. So what can you give me that nobody else can? So if we're racing against data, if we're racing against these aggregates that own my customer, if I'm a restaurant owner, you own my customer, I, where can I beat you? I can beat you. Like what is your weapon? It's real estate. So what do people want out of the real estate? How can I better fuel you beyond nutrition to make you better, smarter, faster? You know, the most interesting theory I've heard put forth in this week. Was um, that that I just said? No. No? There's no. actually a really smart kind of brooding dark individual them. that said, you know, for restaurants, it's either been about wants or needs, right? In mm. in like I want something, or I need something. And when you think about wants versus needs, like I, I don't know, like I need to eat because it's lunch, you know, or I need to eat better, so I'm gonna go get a salad. Wants are like, oh god, doesn't that sound good? But it's always been a dichotomy. And in truth, why not both? And and does and does technology get us there where it's like I can actually eat something that's great, but also it's fine tuned to my particular biology, you know, like or the restaurant knows enough about me. It's got some data that understands that I'm going in this fitness regimen or to go to the far end of the spectrum. Uh, I don't know if you saw that movie, The Island, but Ewan McGregor's using the toilet and he's peeing and it's like, oh, you're low on zinc today, you know, because it's like and those technologies actually exist. Like it's actually going and adjusting your food to your own personal biology, your aspirations. Brendan, do you know who that person was that said that? Do you, do you, that sounds <laughs> really familiar, man. I think it was you actually who brought that up. Yes, sir, that was. was you, wasn't it? And yes. I didn't want to steal your idea, but I actually thought it was a great one, which is like, why are we splitting the difference? And can you use data to make people simultaneously feel indulgent and improved? And that's probably where the future of restaurants lie, right? Which is not about giving me food in a physical space, which has been what they do today. But it's about giving me what I need at the right moment in time. And that might mean delivery. That might mean um, that we do it inside the restaurant with a group of friends. But to your point, it's going to be much more interesting if the restaurant actually knows who I am. They know my biological makeup and they're able to help me over the course of my everyday get the right nutrition and nutrients and all those things. Have you guys, um, there's a great podcast, uh, Recode Decode, yeah. um, with Kara yeah. Swisher, and she interviewed a guy named Jonathan Newman who founded Sweet Greens. Have you guys checked that out? I if love their app. Yeah. We'll put, I love their app. Put that in the show notes. But what, what he talks about is their mission is to um, locally source sustainable foods that are great for you, great tasting, um, but in their future vision, it's based on your body. And so what they're trying to figure out is how do they get things that are natural and not like, yep. you know, not grown a million miles away so they can actually change the, the like the food ecosystem and the, like the, the carbon footprint that food has such a negative Beautiful. impact on. Right. Yep. But it's, source specifically for you mm -hmm. um we'll put it in the notes go check it out smart guy really yeah. interesting yeah i i kind of got there through uh true food kitchen very very similar yeah. test and then you look at these companies uh, fitness genes geno palette helix.com and essentially it's diet plans based to your dna um i think if by a show of hands should we continue this conversation on the next podcast 
Do you think we've covered it all? Is it possible to cover the future of restaurants? I don't think we'll ever get to the end. Right. But it was a fun one, though. Yeah, yeah there's a lot yeah, of fun. Part man. one. Part one. We'll call it a part one. Yeah. And will there be a part two? Are you going to do knows? part D because you did that thing <laughs> with like, the French name? Real quick, before I get insulted even further on my right, respectful pronunciation of one of the world's there, greatest chefs, um, you guys have a coolest thing this week you want to share with some folks? I mean, I got a coolest thing, and I think it was my coolest thing one year ago today. Uh, coming out of CES was <laughs> Foldmate. Yeah. Which is the foldable uh, the machine for nine hundred bucks that will fold twenty five pieces of your laundry in less Lazy than five minutes. Ass. Yeah, um, huge machine. It got smaller this year. Still a total vaporware bullshit. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But but I still want it. I, I didn't get it last year. I'm not going to get it this year. But if that thing gets to like three hundred bucks. And it actually oh, works. Yeah. Oh, all day I'm just feeding shirts in there like I'm a Gap employee, you know. Just and and then and then immediately unfolding them and then putting them back yeah, in. Just, just because, to watch because right? Yeah. So so I, right. I love that. I thought that was that was pretty cool. So um, that, that that reminded me when you were talking about that. Do you remember that? Um, it was years ago. It was it was actually at CES. No, it was a TED Talk, and it was the one who had the um, 3D printer for makeup. And it would like print your own makeup, like mm. specific to you. Yep. And then after she did it, and she said, it was like, ooh. She's like, well, that's not real. I didn't actually do that. Like, <laughs> I was like, wow, if she could only have gotten a Theranos. There like, was a new one today. Uh, sorry, this, I think last week, and it, it was Olay, or uh, it, it sounded kind of stupid. But then the more I thought about it, really interesting. You put a scanner over your face, mm-hmm. and you sort of like just move it over your face it detects any blemishes and then it'll actually create a mask specifically for your face to put beautiful and like to put things in the right place to get rid of whatever these you know nasty well, things are i have on my face before you go with the coolest thing i definitely need that thing whatever okay. that is i I'll walked in the building you. today yeah, yeah thanks man i'll get you the foldy thanks it's 300 yeah. you can give me that uh, i walked in the building today and somebody who uh i quite love and respect and i think is great and i'm always happy to see them touches me on the shoulder and says you look tired. I was what, like, what? okay, onward. All right, thanks. thanks. What's your I'm glad now? I don't see you that often. Um, so uh, I don't know. I think I filed this under a different kind of cool. There was an Israeli company called Accelerated Evolution Biotechnologies Limited. That sounds like a name just yeah. built. It sounds like a French for the back. CIA. <laughs> yeah. If you, and if you did that and then put dot AI. Ponzi, Ponzi scheme. Yeah, for sure. Well, apparently they promised to cure cancer of all kinds within the next year. And they said it with a straight face, like so. That I don't know how much cocaine goes into. Like I got to be honest, like I don't know that the cool part for me was that they um, they claim they can do it. It was more like that that someone would have the balls to say that publicly because there was all sorts of oncologists and genetic specialists who were like. Man, if you could just do it for one of the 200 kinds of cancer that are out there, <laughs> I would do a cartwheel. That would be amazing. So I guess the coolest thing I mean, was like, like the sheer... Holmes times 10, right? That, that's the whole depth, right? Yeah. The, the sheer chutzpah, chutzpah. since they're yeah. from Israel, to, um, to, to, to say cool. that. That was, that was just kind of like breathtaking yeah. to see that kind of claim. Are they legit? They are. They've been around since 2000. Hey, hey but you know it's great. Several patents. We're going to find out by this time next year because That's they true. said one and year. And I That's may true. start vaping. My, yeah, because, because it'll <laughs> Why be not? Well, I think there's still. Only, uh, if my, you cure cancer, like the wheels are going to fall off of large segments of society. Yeah, so my only, my only worry with that is, uh, did y'all ever see uh, I Am Legend? Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Right, wasn't that? It, it was like a cancer cure, and then everybody turned into like. I don't know, dogs zombies, or whatever, zombies, zombie dogs or something that's exactly like that. Right. That's what caused yeah. it. Is that what the, that's? Is that? Uh, what it could very well be. Doing? I did not see. You think whether they run or not that test? To... No. Well, no. one, did they see the movie? 
Probably not. It's right. pretty much how Two, it would is play Will out. Smith and backing then, this? I mean, yeah. Uh, honestly. Three, <laughs> like, what is the testing is there th- to make sure that you don't turn people into zombie dogs? So the answer to three is... The answer to three is zero. I okay. forget your first question, but the, answer, <laughs> but the answer to your second question is no, they've never seen it because if you're going to cure cancer in one year, you don't have time for Will Smith movies. That's true. That's true. Uh, Did you guys see Bright? No. I didn't either. Yeah. Okay, good. No, God, no. In fact, yeah. hey, ben, the only time I've seen this when I'm trying yeah. to flip through it real quick on Netflix, I'm like, I'm not watching that. Oh, but I will say one thing. It's not the coolest thing, but if you get a chance, watch Black Earth Rising on Netflix. Yeah. It was amazing. I was breathtaking how great it was an eight-part series and it's about the international politics on post-rwandan um genocide prosecution mm. but it's deeply personal and yeah. on top of it that the there was an animation sequence in it that they used sort of like for memory art cards that made me cry a little bit it was an amazing i did in fact it James was so good crying right now it's so good it's i didn't watch the last 10 minutes of the series because i didn't want it to end zebra muscle i've never tears. actually seen the ending it was amazing oh, okay so <laughs> all right that was amazing you know who else does that my four-year-old daughter <laughs> That's right. you know you know it's awesome <laughs> i've always awesome. been your four-year-old daughter ben so i was talking about uh like uh ambient energy and like you know how you can feel somebody's looking at you without knowing it right the energy in this room is great and then James goes, hey, you should watch this movie about genocide. About Rwanda. <laughs> Sorry, but no, it was beautiful. Right. But Take it, is it down it and is, out. It is important. Beautiful. But to your point real quick about cancer, uh, I'm going to be logging my adventure. Um, in June, I am paddling 21 miles, stand-up paddleboarding 21 miles. What? Uh, for a charity called Damn That Cancer, which supports the families and networks of people afflicted by cancer. And I'm going to try to quantify myself. So cancer thing tipped me off on that, reminded me, tell you guys, we'll go along the way. It'll be fun. Uh, the coolest thing that I've seen this week came from my friend Trevor over at Techstars. Um, you guys have heard us talk about uh, this before, this whole idea around ethics as a service, right? So as we get into the automated world that we're going to live in, there needs to be an ethics clearinghouse is sort of my opinion, right? Because just because you drive a Bentley I've doesn't mean you deserve idea. to uh, run over my uh, Hyundai but, you know, shouts out to Hyundai. They make great cars. Um, he said, that, that's fascinating. Uh, Omidar did this thing, and it's called the uh, Ethical OS. And so ethicalos.org. We'll drop it in the Omidar? show. Omidar? Omidar, yeah. Okay. Um, has this thing called ethicalos.org, and it's essentially, uh, just to read off their website, the last thing you want to be, uh, the last thing you want is to get blindsided by a future that you helped create. The Ethical OS is here to help you see more clearly. And essentially, it's eight stages that you go through in technology design and, and implementation to make sure that what you're doing is technically ethical and not going to come come back around and bite you in the ass. Like I said, we'll drop the uh, website in the show notes, and that's the coolest thing I've seen this week because it's a little, little validation. So cocktails and questions, future of restaurants. All I know is I'm going to be eating good food it's in the as can. long as I can. All Let's right, guys. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Tell your friends. Rate, review. Uh, be good to yourselves. Be good to one another. Talk to you next time. Thank you.